Good morning. And uh, thank you, Steve, for that, uh, that kind welcome. It is good to be back at uh, Great Parks. And uh, Chloe's multi-talented, isn't she? She can, she can play this. She can work that. And uh, good, to, uh, good to see you as well. Um, this is my, uh, my mum's side of the family, the Willis family. And uh, uh, my grandma, as you look at that picture, is on the, uh, let's check, on the right-hand side. And she had nine children, Mary Willis, and my grandpa's on the other side. I never knew my granddad. Uh, he, uh, he died before uh, I was born. Uh, my mum is the one sitting in front, right in the middle. Uh, she's sitting down in front of that sort of little lectern uh, event. And uh, I could keep you here for two or three hours telling you all about my aunts and uncles. My grandma, Mary Willis, was a wonderful woman. She lived to the age of 99 years and six months. She had been widowed since her early 50s and uh, had to bring up nine children uh, uh, without any state support at that time. I love staying with her. The, the family all lived in Consett, County Durham, uh, which is where my mother was born. And uh, my grandma uh, would, um, uh, you know, say to me, uh, come and stay, so I'd go and stay with her. And um, as a little boy, I can remember, she, she would put out whatever was for the main meal. But if she saw me eyeing the apple pie uh, and custard, she would say, do you want to eat that first? I was never allowed to do that at home. So uh, I would say yes, and she said, that's fine, you can do that. So I could, I could tell you all about that family there um, who are amazing. But look at this. This is the family tree of Jesus. And you find it in Matthew chapter 1. And uh, it's very interesting to, to note some of the, the names that are there uh, in red. Tamar, uh, she was a, a woman who had suffered great injustice. And um, she slept with her father-in-law, deceived him, in order to get revenge because of the injustice he had visited upon her. And then there's Rahab, uh, and she's a, uh, she was a prostitute, and she's celebrated in Scripture because she was a friend uh, of, um, of Israel and Ruth who we're going to look at her story this morning she was just an immigrant penniless and you know homeless at one point and then uh, Bathsheba uh, she committed adul adultery with the king King David and he was such a ruthless man at that stage he arranged for her husband uh, to die and uh, I just find it amazing when you look the, this is just a little section of the family tree of Jesus in Matthew 1, that when you see these people in there, uh, who we would call today, like ourselves, sinners, you realise the reason why the Bible New Testament begins here is they want to set forth early on how Jesus is the friend of sinners. And if he's the friend of sinners, he's going to have sinners in his uh, family tree. So we're going to look and, and focus on one particular person um, and uh, this person Ruth has a whole book devoted to her in the Old Testament and uh, so she's a very significant uh, person and um, her story opens in the little town of Bethlehem so Ruth if you've got your Bibles it's Ruth chapter 1 look how it begins in the days when the judges ruled there was a famine in the land in the days when the judges ruled uh, much like today, there was political chaos. If you look back to the previous chapter, um, 
Judges, the last book of Judges, the very last verse. You perhaps don't even have to move your uh, Bible. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It was a me-first generation. So there was a political chaos 3,000 years ago in this little town of Bethlehem. But then in this little town of Bethlehem, there was moral decay. Uh, for that, you have to read Judges chapter 19, and it's one of the most terrible stories in the whole of the Old Testament. Um, it gives you a glimpse into the low life of the nation of Israel. Um, most weeks today in our national news, you hear a story of binge drinking and gang rape and the death of somebody. That's what Judges 19 is about. It's about young men, binge drinking, gang rape, and the death of a young woman. And the relative of the young woman is so distraught by this, he takes the dead body of the young girl and he cuts it into 12 pieces and he sends it north, south, east and west to all the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. And it shocked the nation so much that it says in Judges 19 verse 30, we've never seen anything like this in the whole of our lifetime. So here you have in the little town of Bethlehem, you have political chaos, everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. You have moral decay illustrated by that story. And you have economic hardship. It says in verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now you need to remember that Bethlehem's name means house of bread. It was a major place in the whole region where people came when they wanted their grain supply. So in this house of bread, the major centre for the distribution of grain in the area, if there's a famine in Bethlehem, you'll understand what it must be like in the whole of the land. So here you have political chaos, moral decay, economic hardship. But like any gripping documentary, the writer focuses in on one family. And uh, what's life like for an average family in Bethlehem when there's all this that's happening in the land? And so we're introduced to a man called Elimelech. Um, his wife is Naomi and he has two sons, Marlon and uh, Kilion. And with all this uncertainty in the uh, city of Bethlehem, they decide to pack up from Bethlehem, there you see it, and move to the country of Moab. It's no more than about 60 miles. But because of the difficult terrain, mountainous terrain, on foot it's going to take between seven and ten days' journey. And somehow the, the famine and the chaos and the economic uncertainty didn't afflict Moab in the way that it did Bethlehem. Now it may appear to us today as if somebody was moving uh, from Totnes to Taunton or from Paynton to Plymouth. It didn't seem a big move. But you need to dig deeper into this book and realise that what the book is going to tell us, this family made a big error. They obviously didn't consult as much as they should, God, about what seemed to be a good move. It says in the Bible, they went for a while. Uh, that's in verse uh, 2. Now the name Elimelech gives you a clue. The name Elimelech means my God is the king. And there's another little clue there, that word Ephrathites. It's as if they didn't only live in Bethlehem, but they belonged to a spiritual aristocracy. They were Ephrathites. 
So this man, Elimelech, by his name, my God is the king, and by his spiritual heritage, a generation after generation of family, people who really loved and served the Lord, this man should have known from his heritage when things get tough, you don't walk away. You stay where you are. You trust God to work miracles in the difficult times of life. But the family didn't choose to trust God to provide for them in these difficult days. And of all the land uh, places they, they chose to land, it was the country of Moab. Moab was known for its dark pagan religion. They sacrificed children. They believed that they could appease the gods that they were worshipping by sacrificing their children. And they had been fierce enemies of Israel for about 18 years. It was the last place on earth you'd expect a godly man and his family to move home. Well, within a short time of moving, as you know, because you've heard the story read, uh, the woman's husband dies, and Naomi's left a widow with two sons. And after a little while, the two sons marry local girls, uh, Orpha or Opera, as in Opera Winfrey, Opera and Ruth. And after 10 years, both the sons die. So you now have... Uh, three widows living under one roof. You have uh, Naomi and you have Ruth and Opera. It's a house of deep sadness. And it's at this point that the writer turns his attention to the relationship of these three women. It's the relationship especially between the mother-in-law and her daughters-in-law. Uh, I had uh, planned, I sent this reading uh, many days before I realized today is International Women's Day, so it's very uh, significant that we're homing in uh, on this particular story. Um, Louis Palau is a world-famous evangelist. Some of you may have heard him. He's born in Argentina, now lives in America. And um, I happened to be at a conference where uh, we were both speakers at this conference, and I had time to chat to him and... Um, um, he had travelled at that time to many countries in the world, and I, known for his humour, I said, Louis, what, what is there uh, in your repertoire of humour, jokes and so on, that goes down in every culture? And he said without hesitation, mother-in-law jokes. He said, I only have to stand up and say, I'm having troubles with my mother-in-law, and uh, everybody bursts out with laughter. Uh, well, I'm not making any mother-in-law jokes this morning, but I want to present to you a stunning mother-in-law. Naomi sometimes had a bad press, but let me tell you what I think, I think makes her a wonderful mother-in-law. Look at verse 6. She was a very caring woman. She kept in touch with her family in Bethlehem. And it can't have been a blessing to her to hear that life had returned to normal in Bethlehem. God had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. Bread, Bethlehem was once again the house of bread. People were coming from all over that region to get their grain. And so if I was part of that family, it would be quite natural to say, well, why did we leave Bethlehem in the first place? So Naomi now makes the decision uh, to go back home, to which is her home uh, birthplace and so on. But she reveals her caring nature when she suggests to her two daughters-in-law um, she didn't expect them to make the journey. Verse 6, you go back to your mothers. Your mothers need you more than I do. And then she blesses in verses 8 and 9, 
her two daughters-in-law. May God be kind to you, just as you've been kind to me and my dead sons. I hope you both find husbands. May the Lord bless you as you've been a blessing to me. So that, I think, is a second sign. She was not only caring, I think she was a very spiritual woman in the way she blesses her children. Verse 11, she's also very humorous. Um, the two girls weep and say, we want to stay with you. Um, but Naomi says, are you expecting me to produce uh, two more sons for you to marry? I'm far too old to marry again. And if I did marry someone tonight and I conceived, are you two girls prepared to wait for years until these two boys grow up? Naomi might have added, what happens having waited that you don't like either of my boys? She was caring, she was spiritual, she was humorous. But verse 13, she was transparently honest about everything that had happened to her. She says, as I reflect on all that's happened over the past few years, I've come to the conclusion, the Lord's hand has turned against me. These are bitter days I'm experiencing. It's a sobering experience as a pastor. Through many years I've had to witness what happens when Christian believers get angry. Uh, I remember some of you know the name of John Hutchison. He was a good friend to me. And years ago when I was a younger pastor, I remember how he said to me, sometimes you have to be a lightning rod to receive people's disappointment with God. People are sometimes so disappointed with God they have to visit that anger somewhere and sometimes you have to be prepared for it to land on you. I remember uh, in a church meeting in one of my churches uh, a normally very calm and peaceful woman suddenly standing up and just letting rip with a volley of abuse against me personally, against the church. and It was most uncharacteristic. And straight after the meeting that night, I felt I had to go round. And I met the woman and her husband and listened to their stories. And they were a little bit like Naomi. They said, these have been very bitter days for us and we feel the Lord's hand has turned against us as a family and they began to share and I want you to know it's, it's quite normal to feel like this when you read the Psalms I love the Psalms I try and read a Psalm every day good that you had that Steve with the children there's the Psalmist and remember this was the songbook of Jesus the Psalms so much of uh, the Psalms are reflected in his life but sometimes there is deep disappointment with God expressed by the psalmist. Lord, are you deaf? Why don't you hear my prayer? Why am I in this mess as a righteous person and it seems as though the wicked flourish? So I talked with this family, allowing their bitterness to come out. And we talked and we prayed and we looked at the Bible and tears flowed. And by the end of the evening, hugs were exchanged. And... Um, as I left, came out into the hall, by the front door, I'd left my briefcase. And the family dog had heard the anger coming from the room 
and had decided to take it out on my briefcase. <laughs> and there was huge bites taken out of my briefcase. He was in sympathy with how the family felt. When you open God's word this morning, it's a mirror. That's how the Bible describes itself. You see yourself in the mirror. And there are times in our lives when, like Naomi, we say, the Lord's hand has gone against me. Do you know one of the dangers when we do feel the Lord's hand has gone against us is, as we will discover as you go through the chapter, we not only feel bitter towards God, we actually feel we're rubbish believers. And we think to ourselves, God can never use us. That's why it's wonderful to keep reading through this story because you discover far from being useless, Naomi is being used by God in this moment. You can see from verse 14 how she decides to return to Bethlehem. Uh, her daughter-in-law, Opra, she decides to stay in Moab and kisses Naomi goodbye. And um, in spite of Naomi suggesting to Ruth, to Ruth to do the same, she clings. This lovely painting is in the Tate Gallery in London. And you can see how the, the, the back of Orpha is turned away because she's not going to make the journey. And there's some versions of the Bible which say that Ruth clung to Naomi. And I think the picture describes there. And you know, from verse 16, it's one of the most lyrical moments in the whole of the Old Testament. Ruth has lost her husband. She knows what it is to grieve. She understands why Naomi's heart has been broken in pieces three times. Ruth has heard all that Naomi has said, how she feels bitter, a bitter disappointment with God. But this is Ruth's, this is Ruth's response. Look in verse 16. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if anything but death separates you from me. If you find yourself this morning standing in Naomi's shoes, I want you to hear this word of encouragement, even when you think you're a rubbish believer because you're bitter. God can use a broken life. Ruth has glimpsed something real in the rawness of Naomi's bitter grief. I want your people to be my people and your God to be my God. That's powerful. And God wants to bring that word of encouragement right into your heart this morning. When we feel useless and worthless and how on earth could God use my life, he is able to use it as we see here in the life of Naomi. Well, the two widows, verse 19, return to Bethlehem. And um, friends and neighbours come out and say, can this be Naomi? By the way, the name means pleasant. But the years of sadness and grief and worry have taken their toll on dear Naomi. And her physical ex uh, um, appearance is now altered. That's why they're saying, can this be the same woman that left us a few years ago? And Naomi explains the change in verses 20 and 22. Don't call me Naomi, she said. I'm changing my name to Mara, which means bitter woman. Uh, it's lovely in the original language. It comes across like this. Call me Mara because God has marred my life. 
Call me Mara because God has marred my life. I'm bitter because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought me misfortune. It's very interesting to see the word that uh, is used. That word, El Shaddai. Normally in the scriptures, uh, when people are talking to God personally, they use the normal word of Yahweh. That is the personal covenant name that God has given to his people. Uh, but El Shaddai, if you've got a Bible which sometimes has footnotes, uh, it'll actually tell you El Shaddai means the Almighty One. The Almighty in Hebrew, El Shaddai. It means all-sufficient. It means this God has a rock-like strength and stability. God is able to triumph over every obstacle. It's as if Naomi is saying to El Shaddai, I'm not holding anything back from you because I believe you're strong enough to take my pain. Sometimes we, uh, I was in a house group in our house last week and uh, we were talking about prayer and uh, somebody was very honest in the group and said, you know, sometimes I feel so angry I feel so angry I can't pray. That's just the time to pray. That's what the psalmist does. And here she is laying down, not holding anything back from God because she believes El Shaddai is strong enough to take the pain. Lord, I feel so bitter after all that's happened. The bitter experience of triple bereavement. The sudden loss of husband and two sons. The mystery. Why on earth did we leave Bethlehem? If we hadn't left Bethlehem, my boys and my husband would still be alive. She declares her deep disappointment with God. But she doesn't deny the conviction of her heart that she can lay all this, this heavy burden at the feet of El Shaddai. Every time we gather as a congregation, somewhere... There's a Naomi and a Ruth. There might even be a Nathan and a Robert. Happens to be two women in this story, but Naomi or Nathan hanging on by their fingernails, feeling deeply disappointed with God because you feel that life has gone against you and if he is the almighty one, why hasn't he somehow prevented all this? And here you have this wonderful example of a, of a spiritual woman deep down Caring, spiritual, honest woman, casting her burdens on El Shaddai. And I love the story of Ruth because Ruth has none of the spiritual advantages of Naomi. Uh, she can't look back to a long line of faithful believers in God. She's come from a pagan nation. And somehow she's hanging on to the coattails of this woman, Naomi, because she's seen in the life of her mother-in-law, Naomi, enough to say, this faith I want for myself. Let me just say this. I, I meet it so often. You can't live off somebody else's faith. You must have your own personal faith and relationship in the Lord Jesus Christ. You meet too many people who either through their family or through friends and they somehow think the nearer they get in friendship to a, a strong Christian that that somehow is sufficient. Ruth is a great example of where she says, I want your God to be my God. That could be yours this morning. You're here because of a friend, you're here because of a relative, and 
And I just say to you, step out of the shadows. Pray like Ruth. I want your God to be my God and your people to be my people. I love how Naomi brings all her pain and sadness. And we don't just come to El Shaddai, we, we come to the cross of Jesus. That's where we see his mercy and his love reflected in fullness. Um, this is the cross which is in Spurgeon's chapel, Spurgeon's College, founded by the great Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I was privileged to prepare there to be a pastor. And as you enter the back of the chapel, there facing you is this uh, gold-coloured cross. It's floodlit from all the sides, and it's an Im image which catches the eye. But as you walk up to the cross and uh, stand closer, and you may have to move this slide on for me because it's not going to show up there. As you walk right up to the cross, you realise it's an embroidered cross and written, embedded in the embroidery, are the words of Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was wounded for our sins. Our sins were laid on him. By his wounds we are healed. It's not only a remarkable craft, it's a wonderful truth. But the closer you come to the cross of Jesus, it's only then that you understand how much he loves you, how he can ransom, heal, and restore your broken life. It wouldn't take you long this afternoon to go home and read chapters 2, 3, and 4 of Ruth. And some of you know the story well, how uh, a very wealthy businessman steps into their life, and he becomes the husband of Ruth, and eventually they fall in love and they marry, and they have a son called Obed, and Oba has a son called Jesse, and Jesse becomes the father of King David, the great King David, who's so central a figure in the life of Jesus. When the uh, angels come to the shepherds, they talk about going, hurry down and go to the city of David. Bethlehem was the city of David. So here you have Ruth, who turns out to be the great-grandma of this mighty King David, who's in the family tree of Jesus. And the book of Ruth it's a wonderful reminder of that great promise in the, Old in the New Testament that God is able to do far more, exceeding abundantly, more than we can ask or imagine. I can imagine, Steve, we could have a testimony session here which would last us to tea time where people could say, that's true for me. I never realised when my life was in a mess that God was able to do all much more than I could even ask or imagine. So that's our Bible story for today. And it's not just a story from yesterday. It's a story for today. Let me pray. Lord, we've opened your word and we've called upon your Holy Spirit to take this word and apply it to the hearts of those who are here. Lord, if Naomi is here this morning, bless her, I pray. Help her to come to El Shaddai, the Almighty One, and to pour out on your rock-like strength, all that she feels by way of disappointment. <coughs> and may Naomi realize that there was enough in her that Ruth felt attracted. And so if Ruth is here this morning, may she come to a personal faith with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And bless this fellowship, I pray. 
May the opening of the word this morning be symbolic of the opening of our hearts every day to hear your word and to follow you more closely. We ask this in Jesus' strong name. Amen.